Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. It's International Break Week, which means essentially Rihanna and I have no idea what to do with our lives over the weekends, other than, you know, see friends and family, I guess, because that's something we now have time to do when there's no football being played. But um, of course, I say that partially tongue in cheek. Welcome back while we talk a little bit about what's going on in European football rather than what's going on during the international break. We have a host of European uh, or Euro qualifier games going on um, across the, the continents in our continent, I should say, for the Euros. We have CONCACAF um, uh, qualification as well for, I guess it would be, I don't, I don't even know what year that would be for 2025, what year, something like that. Um, um, or is it next year? I truly have lost count of which year we're in. For Euros? Yeah, 2024. Well, Euros 2024, but all the CONCACAF stuff, I actually don't oh, remember. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it is kind of complicated when you bring Ex- it. Like, exactly. Nations League, Gold Cup, and then Nations League again. And Basically, then the Copa America, which isn't CONCACAF. Yeah, Copa it's Copa Ball, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like the the U.S. games that are going on right that have been going on these last couple of days. Shout out Ricardo Pepe. Uh, <laughs> they were to <laughs> they Sweet. they were to like qualify for the Nations League semifinals. Yeah. And okay. Then there's the Gold Cup in the summer, and then the Nations League in the fall is for is going to be the qualifiers for the Copa America in 2024. Got it. Got it. Okay. Long-winded way of saying we're going to talk about the Champions League. We're not going to talk about any of that because it's overly complicated. And, um, yeah, we're just going to talk about European stuff because if we... And at least we, doesn't like, want we, to talk about the fact that Spain lost to Stalin. To no, no uh, I don't uh, want to talk about that brace. at all. No, McTom- the McTominay brace is really what did it. If it was Robertson, I could, I could handle that. But the McTominay brace is just... Football heritage is ruined today. Um, they should still very much qualify for the Euros, but... We'll put all of the national team stuff to the side for a second. But, Rian, like I said at the beginning, we're going to talk about the European games, but we have to start with some pretty important news from just around Europe and specifically the Premier League, and then we'll shift focus elsewhere. Antonio Conte, not so surprisingly, um, is out as Spurs head coach. I think everyone kind of saw this coming after their draw against Southampton. Uh, 2-2, of course, incredible comeback by, by Southampton. Um, after that game, for those of you who have not actually listened, go back and listen to his post-game press conference because he really laid into the culture of Spurs. He laid into the quality of the, basically not the board, but Daniel Levy, essentially. Um, a lot of things that you just clearly was frustrated with. And I got a chance to listen to... Um, to Sid Lowe's podcast, the Spanish football podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend if you're um, into learning more about La Liga, Sid Lowe actually got a chance to interview Pedro Porro um, right essentially a couple of days after that uh, Antonio Conte interview, or I should say post-match com- uh, conference. And Pedro Porro apparently didn't know what Antonio Conte had said. Um, and so Sid Lowe got a chance to actually break the news and show him what Antonio Conte had said during his press conference, again, I'm not going to go into detail other than say, just go back and listen to it. And uh, Pedro Porro's reaction was one of, uh, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> so anyway, that's my anecdote for today. But Rian, um, Antonio Conte is actually statistically 
one of Spurs' most winningest managers. Did I use correct grammatical English? Yeah, English isn't my strong suit. Uh, did oh. I use correct grammar? <laughs> You're close. No. Yeah, it was close <laughs> enough. Um, Spurs actually averaged the second highest ever points per game in the Premier League for uh, under any given manager that they've had um, outside of Pochettino. And Conte racks up on average 1.88 ma- er, points per game in the Prem. Pochettino was not far ahead at 1.89. So this is basically a statistical difference of like one potential game, maybe the Southampton game going the way that they would like to change that to some sort of a tie. And given that that's the second highest figure for any Spurs manager, I'd be curious to understand your perspective. And I think I know the answer here. Was this warranted outside, outside of his comments, the comments, uh, like he wrote his, he wrote his own check essentially, but Outside of the comments. Yeah, I don't know. The comments are 100% the reason why he's out of a job right now because they, they he would have still been the coach easily because they're, they're still very close to fourth place. But uh, your kind of overall question of was this warranted, yeah, you, you kind of know my response. Like I said it a few weeks ago, they weren't – they haven't played at the level of a top four team for most of this season uh, when you look at the underlying numbers. And you throw on top of that uh, kind of just the lack of entertainment that I'm sure pretty much every Spurs fan was getting out of watching that team play this season. And then you kind of like dive in a bit deeper into kind of the, the articles that have come out since then and hearing about just how much running Spurs had to do during their, like for trading all season. And, and I'm sure that this is not the first time he's put in that regimen for that training routine for, for teams. Um, and that's probably been the case at every club that he's been the manager of, but you kind of throw all of these factors in together and you get a pretty poor recipe. Um, like the, the actual play on the field, the kind of fan support level, which was, which was gone, basically gone. Like they were booing, they were booing specifically him, but they were booing the the, the team in general. Uh, the last couple games, <laughs> like, like I'm thinking specifically in that game against Milan, the second leg in the Champions League, where they pretty much never put like a lot of pressure on on Milan, especially uh, when they were only down a goal. Like it's, it's that that is what will infuriate a fan base. That, that would infuriate me for sure. So you kind of throw all these factors together and it's, it's hard to argue against it. Um, it's hard to argue against firing, especially after they brought in some, some young players who for one reason or another, haven't gotten playing time or have been loaned out. I'm thinking like Jet Spence. Um, I'm thinking Tuggy and Dombele, although yeah, he's, kind of failed under three different coaches. That's so kind I don't of know if that's quite a yeah, Conte yeah. thing or not. But um but Ndombele sure could be one of them. Um Brian Hill is is a pretty big <laughs> example that, of one where that is still the funniest like transfer swap situation between two clubs. Because he got sold to Sevilla basically for more than he went to Spurs for. Uh it doesn't really make sense. So anyway, continue. Yeah, it's just um, really not really a bad formula, like I said. So, so I think it was warranted in the end. Um, yeah. 
And it, it, the, the real question is what do Spurs do from here, right? That's a good question. Well, uh, I think for now, um, Ryan Mason's back in the assistant role. Um, so he's kind of been getting his managerial, I don't you want to call them stickers, uh, if you will, because I, I don't know if he will eventually move on to bigger bigger things. Um, but it's it's possible, I guess. Um, I guess the, the thing that we um, we should move on to and talk a little bit about, Rian, is more so a battle that seems to always impress city versus Bayern, but not really just city versus Bayern. We have to talk about what's led up to this point. You've gotten a manager in Julian Nagelsmann, who of course, now the former Bayern manager, he is no longer there. And Bayern are champions league quarterfinalists as well as basically 75% favorites to win the Bundesliga. Now, I don't know of many other situations in which a team would lay off or sack a manager in this specific situation, but apparently Bayern are those people. So we start with the news that Julian Nagelsmann has actually been sacked by Bayern. Interestingly enough, and you love this, Rian, you love stats, so we'll, we'll start here for a second. Julian Nagelsmann gained 2.19 points per game on average in the Bundesliga. That's the fourth best value of all Bayern managers in Bundesliga Bundesliga history. But look, we're both in agreement that this is a dumb sacking. We're both like no one's arguing that opinion necessarily. But keep in mind when I say Nagelsmann is the fourth highest or winningest coach in terms of points per game on average, the three managers above him are arguably Bayern's most successful. Pep Guardiola, Hansi Flick, and maybe you could put a potential question mark on Ancelotti. But those three being above Julian Nagelsmann is pretty significant. And by the way, guess who was just below him in fifth place at 2.18 points per game? Niko Kovac, who of course was infamously sacked uh, not that long ago in hindsight for a string of multiple games lost or drawn in, in the league. And Julian Nogsman is also coming off a couple of uh, drop points uh, in, in the Bundesliga. So I'll just let you say your piece on this because I know you have some thoughts. Um, but go, go ahead. Yeah, it, look, I think it's pretty obvious that um, the main reason why Julian Nogsman is gone is not really much to do with the sporting side of it uh you just kind of laid it out you know if we want to just talk about this season specifically um Bayern yes they are second in the league they are one point off of first what a travesty (laughs) with 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 about uh a handful of games left well I was gonna say that the game against Dortmund is next as well yeah it's anyway so (laughs) Second in that second one point off of Dortmund, they're still in the German Cup. They're still obviously in the Champions League. They actually have won every single game in the Champions League this season. It includes two wins against PSG, uh, you know, the team that knocked them out last season, or was it two last season or two seasons ago? I mean, um, Inter and Barcelona. 
Yeah, and Inter, and yes, yeah, exactly. And, and they came out of a group with, with Inter and Barcelona with, with a team that is also in the quarterfinals right now, right? Um, and there's just so much on the, on the sporting side that tells you that they've actually been playing very, very well. Um, even on the defensive side, they've only, they've conceded the fewest goals of all the Champions League teams in the competition. They've only conceded two. It's, this is another one where you kind of read and hear a bit more about like the the behind the scenes of what was going on at the club, specifically around him. And it becomes pretty obvious that the kind of uh, the board level of Bayern did not get along with him. They did not get along with uh, Julian Nagelsmann. They had some reservations with towards like his maturity, like some things that he said in the, in the press after games. Um, and there's <laughs> even a nugget they find about them being like somewhat upset, uh, about him, like riding a skateboard to, to training, which is just like, I, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> I, actually, I actually didn't hear about this. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but this is a kind of like messiness that you get from a club that employs former players as at their board level. Like it's, I, I know that I've probably even said in the past that, that Bayern are like one of the best run clubs in the, in Europe. And, and mostly because they don't, they just don't pay transfer fees often is <laughs> and that's like i i i think that's a pretty good way to, to run your club and just uh, just paying high wages but um the actual governance side of it that is where you kind of start going back and and looking at what they've done in the past you know sacking carlo ancelotti after after he won the double which is, is a is a funny one <laughs> and then and then obviously, obviously like this sacking um and you kind of see where oh, there's like there are some definite flaws in the way that this club is run, um, and and maybe the flaw is that they fully expect to dominate this league every year. And granted, for the most part, they have in the last ten years. They've had a couple seasons where it's been close, but they've won the league ten years in a row, and. That's what they expect, and they and and you get the feeling that they expect to do, to win the league by a lot every year, which is is hilarious and just kind of tells you the state of not just German football, but you know European football with <laughs> with the super clubs in general, right? Where the expectation is perfection, and. That is impossible to maintain, and when it's not maintained, then it's time to start, you know, rolling skulls. And in this case, it was it was Julian Nagelsmann. Um, and now this is a really interesting spot where Thomas Tuchel, who apparently had been in Munich for the for the last few weeks, uh, just as the smoke starts to build around uh, Tottenham reaching out to him. He's waiting in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, he really was. He was uh, dirty macking the entire time. And, and, uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes you can you can be really, really funny. Um, I'll give you that. I, I, that's the only time you're going to ever hear me say that, though. 
Yeah, no, it's okay. Tuchel was late night sending future texts to Oliver <laughs> Kahn which I, <laughs> after that, after after the Leverkusen loss. Like, oh man. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a Leverkusen never losing joke somewhere in there with uh, with those future texts, but I'm not gonna make it. It's just it's not my time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting going into this tie now, right? Where. <clears throat> Look, I'm sure we'll have a lot of time to talk about in the next weeks, months, about um, what Spurs will do, what will happen to Julian Nagelsmann. So, yeah, we can kind of save that for now. But just looking at this tie, coming up against Manchester City, who, as we already know, second in the second in the Premier League. I believe they're out eight points off of Arsenal after um, Arsenal's win last weekend. In the Champions League, City have the best expected goal difference per 90 of all teams and have the best expected goals allowed in the, in the uh, tournament. So uh, that so statistically, kind of Manchester city are in the semifinals. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I'm taking that coupled with Thomas Sukel now coming into Bayern and knowing firsthand how he played against Pep Goyle in those well, I think it was like three straight games two year, a few years ago, two years ago now um, when Chelsea played City. They beat him three straight times in like five weeks, uh, the last one obviously being the Champions League final. Knowing how those games went, knowing how Tom Sugo likes to set his teams up, knowing how Pep Guardiola has set up Manchester City a lot this season – I uh, my my like somewhat hot take is that this is gonna be a really boring game, honestly, like, an extremely really? boring game. I wow, I didn't expect that. Okay, tell t- tell me why. So because we, we've talked a lot about how City played play with the ball. Now they play much slower. They move slower than than ever. They play really really cautious on for not allowing counterattacks, and they don't really want to play direct balls to Holland. Thomas Sukel, Chelsea, played very, very slow in possession, but really didn't want to give up the counterattacks and play and never played direct balls to Timo Werner. I, 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 this is just my hunch, but this game got a way, way, way less entertaining when <laughs> Newly Nagelsmann was switched for Thomas Sukel. So, it's, it's, okay. I get that. Look, it's, it's still the two, in my opinion, still the two best teams in in Europe. There's uh, like best talent, the most talented squads in in not just the competition, but in the entire world, probably. Um, so, look, you're you're still gonna have some like amazing, like great, entertaining moments of of just pure quality uh, is is what I think we can expect. But the overall spectacle of what this game is actually gonna be like, and and you know, I should I should actually reserve it for the first leg. The first leg, I think, will be extremely boring. Depending on what the score is after that first leg, will tell us how entertaining the next leg will be. But the first leg, I'm expecting a a very cautious, very slow game. Uh, I, I that's my that's my opinion, especially when I think about how City played the first leg against Leipzig as well. So it's. I think it's going to be really boring for a first leg. I, I actually, I'm glad you brought up the Leipzig uh, match because that 
that was a good reminder of me of how City have played before they thrashed them in the second leg. Maybe this might be a situation in which it's very similar in the first leg being very, very conservative, and the second leg forces both teams to open up in some capacity. And I think you will likely see more long balls played over the top towards Erling Holland. And I'm assuming that you could we can only assume that we're seeing some we're going to see something similar to what Thomas Tuchel did at Chelsea with the caveat being, I don't think that's how Bayern want to play as in the Bayern players want to play because Julian Nagelsmann was had this Bayern team scoring at a higher rate than he did last season. And that was with Lewandowski. So he's very clearly an attack minded coach. And from what we've heard from the players, there was really no issue with the players and, and Nagelsmann. So I'd be very curious to see how Thomas Zuckel comes in and completely revamps that the, the, the tactics of this team to say, all right, look, guys, we're going to go out there. We're going to play a solid mid block and uh, in that first leg. And then we're going to see what we can do in the second leg. Uh, like, I, I don't think that will go over well, to be honest. Yeah, it might, it might not go over well. I agree. It might not go, but, but at the same time, you know, the players at that level respect coaches that have won a lot. And I think, I think they find their ways, uh, if you want to call it mental gymnastics or compartmentalizing, whatever it is. I think that, that when we're talking about like a Champions League quarterfinal and this is, and, and if this is the game plan for the first leg, I think they'll find a way to, to be like, okay, this is how we're playing. Like, like, you know, I, I don't think that part will be as much of a issue for them, like psychologically. And plus, it's, a, it's still only like two weeks into his time there. Uh, well, let's see how they feel about after like eighteen months. But like, but, but if, if he uh, makes a few weeks long, in, yeah. Well, final question that we can move on to talking about the other game the same day. Um, who do you think goes through? Oh man, I th- I think I really can't bet on a team that has just hired a new coach. <laughs> it's just it's the where the coach is only going to be there for like three weeks. Um, and I I know that people are going to talk about like, oh well, he did it with Chelsea, basically, right? But he did get hired for Chelsea like at the end of January, early February. <laughs> like it wasn't they didn't play City three weeks into to Tuchel getting hired. They they played him after like five months. Like, this is not yeah. the same situation. No, I, I agree. I think it's really hard to put any coach in this position and say, oh, you are favorites to go through into a Champions League semifinal. I think the only potential caveat to that could be this isn't a manager that doesn't have experience playing against Pep, and this isn't a manager that doesn't have experience beating Pep multiple times. And more importantly, in Champions League settings. Granted, those were knockouts. Or that was not a knockouts uh, setting. It was a final. But with that being said, I think it's hard to underplay. Or I think it's it's hard to understate just how critical like this this entire tie can turn within about three to four minutes when you have Erling Holland on the field. Like, it's extremely hard. Like, I cannot stress that enough that we could talk about tactics. We could talk about how the teams are going to set up. I actually really want to talk about that as it relates to Chelsea, I guess, Real Madrid. But Erling Holland is so much of a freak that we can 
we could talk about the tactics and they get thrown out the window within 30 seconds. So with that being said, I'm going to go with city uh, in the same, same what's called prediction as you, but probably for slightly different reasons. Um, but I think city do go through at the end of the day. So that's, that's, that's a tough one, but yeah, Rian, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about Benfica playing inter a team of Benfica that I've mentioned a couple times, I think can be really sneaky. And maybe we don't give them enough credit for being probably the quote unquote small guy in the, the Champions League quarterfinals this year, but they are certainly proving that they could beat the big teams. And I know Inter have somewhat had struggles here and there throughout the season, especially as it relates to injury, Lukaku being a really good example of that. But what do you make of this tie? And ultimately, who do you think goes through? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the Benfica side of it. So, uh, they've played really well in, in the Champions League this this season. They've scored the second most goals of any team. They're tied for for uh, most. Unfortunately, on the on the defensive side, they're tied for the most goals conceded of any of the eight teams that are still remaining. Um, so there's obviously the dichotomy to them there. But this is a team that's performing really well in their domestic league as well. They're first in Portugal, leading Porto by 10 points, and they have expected goal difference per game of plus two. Like they, they're they absolutely destroying, and they're, and they're playing so well, both domestically and internationally. And specifically, a guy who's who's broken out, a real breakout season from him has been Gonzalo Ramos, right? uh, the 21-year-old striker in his second full season in the first team. He... Remember, he scored a hat trick for Portugal in the World Cup against Switzerland. That when Ronaldo got benched for that round of sixteen game, uh, and you were on a high, by the way. Oh, I really was. I really <laughs> was. If you if you do not follow Rian on Twitter and you did not see his tweets during the World Cup as it relates to that specific Portugal game, you're truly missing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was like a cathartic one for yeah. for. <laughs> <laughs> for, like it was basically should have been the end of Ronaldo uh on the on the national team honestly but like he you know he's still he's still here begging goals um but yeah Ramos Ramos was was great in that game um he scored he has scored 16 goals in the league this season he's got three goals in the Champions League um this Benfica side is is really really fun to watch they've got a a great young center back as well who might get sold this summer um uh, his it's not Rafa Silva, but his last name is also Silva, and I and yes, I yeah, yeah. and I yeah I, I feel underprepared for that for that part of this. But um, <laughs> a nineteen year old Antonio, Silva, Antonio yeah. Um, but Rafa Silva is also a great great little player as well. But I, I think this team really could make it past past Inter here. So who Inter is a third in in Serie. A. 21 point gap between them and Napoli in first place and only a five point gap between them and Atalanta who are in sixth place. They've got the eighth best expected goal difference per game um, of any club in Europe's top five leagues. Unfortunately in the champions league, worst expected goal difference per 90 of the <laughs> remaining teams and the worst expected goals allowed of the remaining teams. Really? Yeah, is it, you said Inter, correct? Not Benfica. Inter, Inter, yeah. 
I'm actually somewhat surprised by that. Well, from a defensive standpoint, I'm maybe not because this is also a team that let in a boatload of goals during the group stages, right? And they were on the ropes. And if not for, you know, a really, really depleted Barcelona side, they probably, probably not. <laughs> if, if not for, if not for, PK handling uh, a ball over the top like he's handled his marriage. Like, we <laughs> 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 don't make it to the group stage. Oh my god! Oh, there was no, there was no need. There was no need. I, I apologize for any headphones I just broke, by the way. But that's that is outrageous. But yeah, but let me get back to the point. The Inter were were basically one Barcelona defender mistake, by the way, he did retire after this, uh, from <laughs> not being in a Champions League quarterfinal. So maybe those underlying stats don't surprise me. I'm surprised but they, that they're so high in those categories from an extra differential. Um, because I think about, um, let's say, not the teams that finished last in the group stages, for example, but I do think about, not Spurs, but... I have to think of a, one or two French teams that came to mind that I let me let me do some homework. I'll get back to you on the yeah. No, I, I, I understand. I understand why you're why you're surprised that their defensive metrics are so poor. Yeah, yeah. I looked at um, I went on to Opta and Inter have the fourth deepest start distance of their attacks of all Champions League teams, which just tells you that they sit very deep. <laughs> like yeah. they're they are when they get the ball, they're usually far from their goal is is basically what that means. And you saw it uh in their previous tie against Porto, I mean <laughs> by the grace of God and um and the goalkeeper who got his names were escaping me now too uh the the Cameroonian Cameroonian goalkeeper um who's who was with Ajax and then had and then had and was suspended for a year yeah Onana if not for his heroics at the end of that game they probably go out to Porto as well right uh, so this is a team that does play on the defensive side and tries to hit on the counter yeah unfortunately they try to hit on the counter with the corpse of Njeko. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> that. Granted, that's been while Romelu Lukaku's been out, and and Lukaku did score the most pivotal goal in that tie against Porto. So I, I'm, I'll I'll pull back my pull pull back yeah, a little bit there. <laughs> but um, in general, this is a team that plays defensively, so you wouldn't expect them to be poor defensively. Yeah. I think the other teams that came to mind, by the way, while I was thinking through it, Juventus and Sevilla. Um, surprise, we're not higher on that on that list. Um, but anyway, in the interest of time, Rian, let's select who we think is going to go through. Because um, over two legs, I do think it might be difficult for, for Benfica. But I'm actually going to personally pick them to go through to the semifinals. I do think that they have enough quality to match Inter like for like in, in a knockout situation i i absolutely do um and i think that with inter's defensive woes combined with the fact that we don't i i i'd be curious to see what version of lukaku we get um if healthy we don't know what will show up now we're talking about we're talking on the day that you know belgium did beat germany 3-2 so 
maybe there's a boost there, but I, <laughs> I, I'm very much, I'm very much like 51, 49 in favor of Benfica. How about you? I'm going to go even further. I'd probably say I'm 60, 40 in terms of Benfica. I, I with you, I, I believe, I think Benfica will, will get through this. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think that the talent gap is, is enough for me to, to say that, that Inter will get through with, playing <laughs> having played worse than Benfica has in the competition this entire season. Yeah. yeah. No, that's super fair. Well, Ryan, let's move on and talk a little bit about um, two teams that we hate and love for different reasons. Um, Chelsea against Real Madrid is probably in my opinion, the most interesting tie. Um, and I say that knowing how incredible the other ties are, by the way, I'm not just saying that for the sake of saying it, but Chelsea is now a team that over the last, what, three games have drawn twice and won once or or something like that. Um, And Real Madrid are coming off the back of a classical loss that puts them 12 points back of Barcelona in La Liga, basically fighting for a second leg Copa Copa del Rey uh, win in order to go through to the final and or fighting for the Champions League. So this is all eggs in this basket. You've got Ancelotti's job probably at stake, albeit he might be in a situation where he doesn't really care if he gets sacked or not, because I think that Brazil job is probably waiting for him, to be honest. Um, But focusing on this tie specifically, Rian, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on how Chelsea actually line up against Real Madrid. I want to start there, because over the last three games, we've seen three different starting front threes for Chelsea. We've seen one with uh, Mudrik, We've seen one with Raheem Sterling, but Kai Havertz and Jao Felix have seemed to be now, like we've talked about before, gaining chemistry, but also solidity. So who do you think starts for Chelsea up front? Let's assume that all parties that, you know, are healthy right now remain healthy just for the sake of argument. I, I think, you know, you already pretty much named the first two guys I think will be on the on the sheet for the attackers, which is Havertz and, and Felix. and. I think the third one's going to be Sterling in my in my opinion. Um I I doubt that we see Mudrik. I I think that the rest of this season for Mudrik, you kind of have to think about the fact that he was not playing at all right before he came to Chelsea, um mostly because of the war in in Ukraine. Uh and so he is still in that phase of He's probably just getting match, like just recently got match fit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and that's where he, he's gotten it, got his start, uh, against, I think it was Leicester. Um, and I, I don't expect him to start in, in, in either of these two games, in either of these two legs, in, unless there's injuries. But Ryan Sterling, I, f- I think gives you the best solidity, uh, or the, the most. He's the one who I think you can trust the most throwing into that third attacker position. And we saw him start uh, in the second leg against Dortmund, right? And he ends up getting the goal in that game. And and I think he gets his reward by playing, by starting again here. And I think that's going to be the, the front three. Um, every Everywhere else on the pitch will be interesting. I, I was, if healthy, um, I know that Reese James did pull out of England um, 
during the international break. Anyone pulling out of, with injuries during this international break, I have no clue how real any of them are because, yeah. you know, why the hell would any of these players after uh, a lot of them after playing in the World Cup, eh, like want to play in these games? Uh, but neither here nor there. Uh, I expect that we'll see Joel and, and Reese James as the wingbacks. You'll see if it's a three, assuming that's a three, four, three, assuming that we'll see Enzo and probably Kovacic starting that game. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) He did start. He did start. Oh, man. He he started. He started the first. I think he started the first leg of the Dortmund game. And all right. Yeah, no, I (laughs) I really hope not. But (laughs) it's going to say I hope not. Um. The back line, we'll see. Well, I, I don't expect that Thiago Silva will be fit for that game. Um, I expect we see Koulibaly uh, and, and, for, and Fofana and, and probably probably Kukurea starting again at the left center back position. Um, yeah. So the, the, the team will – I expect um, – them to, st- to uh, try to press Madrid as they have in the last two years. I mean, Chelsea have the best or have the uh, lowest by lowest that they, you want, if you want to call that the best um, point or passes per defensive action of all champions league teams this season. So you expect them to press Madrid high and, you know, that is, I mean, Madrid likes to play that way anyway. They're not going to, <laughs> Madrid will not be pressing them back. We know that. And, uh, I feel like this game will go quite similar to the last couple of seasons, just in terms of the flow of the game. I should, I should say, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know in terms of like the results and, and whatnot, but the flow of the game should go pretty similar. I think to the last couple of seasons where Chelsea will press high, Madrid will look to hit on the counter. Uh, and basically it's going to come down to, well, basically, whether Karim Benzema plays to the same level he did in the in the last four meetings that he's played against Chelsea, which I don't think is much of a guarantee this season. So we we, we saw that right in the Classico. He, I think, like Keep actually gave him like a zero out of ten rate, like something crazy. He has clearly not been the same Karim Benzema that he was last year. But I'm curious because you mentioned. Real Madrid's counterattacking firepower, right? Which is where they relied on so heavily to get points or to win games this season. But are you not worried about who defends Vinny Jr.? Because I don't... Maybe I'm not too... I'm honestly not that... Not, not, not... I Like, if I'm being honest, yes. no, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Like, if Bruce James is starting, then I'm then I'm not that, that worried. That was, that was going to be my point is how much of this team is going to be focused on, you know, pushing out of their, their fullback positions or pushing forward beyond basically the midfield line to get into the final third versus sitting back and playing a strong back three um, or back four, depending on where in transition you are. Right. It, it sounds like you're not worried about, Vinny Jr. at all, right? Because one-on-one in a foot race with Reese James, that's a that's that's a battle that I think you're willing to take with some combination of Koulibaly or Fafana covering. But yeah, maybe your point about Benzema is even more true because if Benzema finds space and he's in form, that's still dangerous. But if he's not, 
you can he, he'll kill every counterattack as we kind of saw in the last last game Real Madrid played. Yeah, and part of my reasoning as well to be not quite as worried as maybe like a lot of other teams would be is also dependent on how they're getting Vinicius the ball, right? If the plan is is what they've done in the past and it's basically every time that we recover the ball from the opposition, the ball is going straight to the left side of the pitch to Vinicius. Uh, and that's where every attack is going to start. That worries me less than if they were to try something a bit clever and try to draw Chelsea over to the left, to the right side and then, and use that as a way to find space for Vinicius and, and hit Chelsea with switches, which, you know, when you have Tony Cruz and Luka Modric on the pitch, that you absolutely can do that. Um, you, when you have Luka Modric and Tony Cruz on the pitch, you also can't really uh, press or <laughs> stay up athletically with the other side. So that that's going to be the the risk reward that Carlo Ancelotti has to to factor in here. Which, again, if we're looking in the past and what has happened a lot this season, and and maybe it's starting to change a little bit as Kamavinga has started to find his feet. But generally, and, and looking back at the at the Classico again, he is never going to give up on starting both Cruz and Modric together. And uh, I, again, I might be wrong. I might, I might, I, I'll probably be wrong. I will keep shouting it from the mountaintops. I I hope he starts them. I hope he starts them. I hope he starts them together. That's I I I the second hot take is that I hope he starts Cruz and Modric together. Um because I just I would rather see those two guys play than Chuameni and Kemavinga start in that game. Uh, that's how I'm thinking about it. Yep. I completely agree with you from from a Chelsea standpoint. Well, let me just leave it at this, and we'll talk about Napoli, Milan. We'll, we'll we'll wrap up. Who do you think goes through? Chelsea or Real Madrid? No sitting on the fence either. I I I think Real Madrid purely on on the finishing. Unfortunately, that that is that yeah, is that's fair. That is it. I I think that this tie might be like three goals max over the two legs <laughs> potentially. Like and and if yeah, and if that's gonna be the the margin, then um. I I think that Madrid get through just based on the finishing alone. And I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea outplays them in like the second leg or one of the legs and, and loses because they couldn't finish because Jao Felix hits the post for the 18th time this season. <laughs> it, so it actually, it actually would, would be extremely on brand for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> the Jao Felix and post relationship is growing just as quickly as the Jao Felix and, uh, and not Modric, excuse me. Havertz. Um, Kai Havertz relationship. Yeah. So thank you. All right, Rian, let's let's talk a little bit about Napoli and Milan. I think are not even dark horses anymore. Like you can't call them Napoli dark horses. They're they're very much in the conversation for potential Champions League winners. And this is just to put it into context too, a, a team in Napoli that I don't believe have ever made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. And in, in any form, I should specify with, you know, the European Cup, whatever it was, um, et cetera. Like, just thinking about how great the players have been historically for Napoli, this is a massive accomplishment for them to even make it this far. So, 
do you, and this is a leading question, so forgive me for this, but do you give Milan a shot against Napoli, against Napoli, excuse me? The, the only shot I give them is the fact that they play in the same league as Napoli. They've played, they've played Napoli multiple times this season. Um, they've lost both games, I, I believe, but I'll have to confirm that. But there's really no other reason for me to think that they can they can beat Napoli over two legs here. Um, they're in fourth place in Serie A, 23 points off of Napoli. Um, this is the defending champions, by the way. <laughs> like they, they are in real danger of not even making it uh, back into the Champions League next season, right? And again, another team that has not necessarily played you know, to, to the level of the team that they're playing in this leg and uh, this tie, or really to the most of the other teams in, in the quarterfinals, they have their expected goal difference per game is only second worst of the quarterfinal team, second worst to, to Inter. Inter have the worst, but, but AC Milan have the, have the second worst. So I, again, just think that Napoli's is, better is just a, a, a much better team now um we're talking about a team that you know we already mentioned they have a 21 point lead in the in the league but the fourth best expected goal difference per game in europe's top five leagues and importantly second fewest goals allowed and third fewest expected goals allowed of of teams in europe's top five leagues so on both ends we are we've we've talked our heads off about Osman yeah. and um and kibar Scalia, who like both of them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, hey. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo. That's, the, that's the first time I've heard you pronounce it without going, uh. Bravo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've now watched it, watched the play enough that I hear someone else say it. And granted, it's an Englishman saying it most of the time or an American saying it. So I still could be butchering it. Um, True. But, but no, this team's been fantastic. Like on top of, of all those great domestic stats, they've scored the most goals in, in the Champions League and they've got the second best expected, expected goal difference per game. Um, so everything points to this being a team that is well worthy of not only making it to the semifinals, but making it to the final as well. And, and yeah, I, it, maybe it depends on who they're playing, but either way, I, I still think that it wouldn't be surprising if this team won the Champions League. So I'm with you. I, I think that Napoli are going to make it through this tie. It might it might get tricky in one of those, in, in like the first leg or so, because again, this is a team that, that they're playing a team that knows them very well. So that that's always going to make things a bit more tricky. But I do think that they they make it through and they, and they reached a semifinal for the first time in their history. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and this season, I've, I've just found myself agreeing with you more and more and more, and I should get checked for a, a brain tumor. Um, <laughs> but everything everything you're saying is spot on, right? And I think the biggest gap is recognizing that Milan's fall off from winning Serie A last season. And I think all of us thought that this is now their resurgence, right? The, the the scenario that I'll give you is this, and it's not anything based on statistics. For you know, I I've made arguments for all three of these ties up till this point based on fact analysis and statistics. I'm gonna give you an argument purely based on vibes. Now, there is a chance that Milan show up in this quarterfinal tie purely because of their heritage, 
and we've talked a little bit about how, and I've shared with you, Milan are a European Italian team. That's been like their identity for 25 years, but it's not like Napoli have had that experience. Like I mentioned earlier with, with their kind of attendance in the champions league, that, that does have an effect, whether it's through the fan fans in the stadium or through the mindset of how those teams approach each game. H- am I saying Milan are going through? Absolutely not. I, I firmly believe Napoli will make the semifinals. In fact, there's a pretty good chance they make the final, but it's really important that like you don't underlie that factor because Real Madrid have made it for the last <laughs> four years in this tournament fully on that, full like, completely on that. So just keep that in mind and don't be surprised if that is some sort of, you know, 1% shock upset, but I do firmly believe Napoli will go through. Yeah. Look, look, look my n- nightmare scenario for Napoli, me and my wallet is <laughs> like, you know, Mike Magnan, who's recently come back, recently been fit, who's an v- extremely good goalkeeper, uh, finding a way to keep out Kabarskalia and Osimhen and just carrying Nap- uh, Milan somehow to uh, to the semifinal where they you know they only could see like one goal over the two legs or something like that. So. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nightmare scenario for you. Uh, this is why I don't I don't bet it, at least in non-casino formats. Um, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that, Rian, I think that wraps up everything that we want to talk through this week. A little bit shorter than usual, but with that being said, um, I didn't mention this at the beginning, Rian, but I'll mention it now. Um, this marks 200 episodes. 200 episodes of The Overlap. Um, I I can't even begin to like explain what that means to me um, and what that means to Rian, I'm sure. Uh, but the fact that we've put this together 200 times over the course of the last three and a half years um, and stuck with it is, uh, is something that I'll always be very proud of and, and very grateful to Rian for, for doing this with me. So thank you everyone, as always for listening, as I always say at the end of these podcasts, but even more especially because 200 episodes is a just crap ton of time to listen to us for. <laughs> so, so yeah, thank you. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks guys.